This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Intel updates AI strategy. And big claims from new chip startup. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research. That's Michael Feldman, editor at Top500.org. Michael, this week in HPC, we've got a lot of news from Intel, who hosted its first ever AI DevCon conference. And they use that as an opportunity to lay out an entire portfolio of products, updating uh, everyone on the strategy around AI. Yeah, I mean, they've talked about all of these chips before in various contexts, but here they got a chance to sort of put it all together into uh, maybe uh, the current version, at least, of their their strategy for AI. And, and you know, when we think about AI at... Uh, at Intel, we you know we talk about their neural network process or the architecture they they inherited from Nirvana, but but actually they've integrated the other some other chip families into their AI strategy as well, and they've talked about it in various ways. But it, it's Xeon, which you know they're they're talking about more and more frequently as part of their AI story, and and FPGAs, which again they're bringing into that uh, on, on the inferencing side of, of machine learning. So, you know, you had the AI products group chief and Naveen Rao give this talk during the uh, opening keynote of this conference this week, which I, which I think is still going on as we're, as we're speaking. Um, but he started off by sort of going through that hardware portfolio and outlining how he thinks each of those products fits into their, their AI strategy. And, in a nutshell, he's basically saying instead of relying on one architecture like the the up uh, the upcoming neural network processor, they're thinking that the Xeon, the FPGA, and and this specialized custom built chip they're working on is are going to uh, provide different elements for different environments in in the AI space. It's a it's not a monolithic space to them. There's lots of different types of opportunities and applications. And there's going to be different decisions that customers are going to have to make on what kind of hardware platform to use for whatever they're doing. Yeah. As far as the strategy goes, there are things about this that I really like. And then there are things about this that I don't like as much. And starting with the things that I really like, first of all, is the acknowledgement that this is not going to be a homogeneous kind of market. There are not only a lot of different kinds of AI and a lot of different parts of the workflow. We talk a lot about training versus inference, but then you get out to edge processors and what exactly is this processing element going to be doing. There are a lot of different elements of the workflow here. It's just not going to be a homogeneous market. And Intel is addressing that by saying, look, we've got different products that that go to these different areas. And I think that's an element of strength within Intel strategy that they can offer that kind of diversity in the product catalog. I also like that they're emphasizing that Xeon is their general purpose workhorse here and that as a general purpose workhorse, it can be used for any type of high performance workload and that's going to be inclusive of AI and they include 
references to customers like Novartis who are saying, yeah, we have Xeons. We need them to do more than one kind of thing. And AI is going to be part of that. You don't necessarily need to invest in a specialized processor to do this kind of work. So we've been talking about specialization in HPC for a long time, in hyperscale for a long time. And AI as a subset of those markets is going to conform to that dynamic of being a heterogeneous environment. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we, and or maybe me, we fall into this trap of thinking about these uh, these processors, thinking, okay, we want the best performing uh, hardware or the best performance per watt hardware, but there's actually a lot of business decisions that goes into making uh, the, the actual decision on whether or not to deploy one type of, of platform or another. And, and yeah, you mentioned Novartis, they're using the Xeon Skylake servers to do some of their training. In fact, Facebook was was also sort of very supportive of that that strategy. They're using a lot of Xeon servers to do a lot of their inferencing. I mean, they're they they have an infrastructure that runs a lot of applications. They need the flexibility of of a general purpose chip to run the all their all their workloads, including inferencing. And it's good enough for inferencing at least at this point for them. To do that as well, and that's a that's a big deployment uh, of AI. Nobody really talks about it that they're they're just Xeon chips, but they're being used in mass for this. So when Ryle talks about you know that Xeon is the the most ubiquitous chip for AI, he he's not kidding. This is the this is what's really going on, but uh, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be able to do that. And for the most demanding parts of AI, the training work, especially. Uh, especially the more complex models, that's not going to those those chips aren't going to be good enough. Yeah, and that leads me to some of the things that I think are part of the challenge around this strategy. And one of those is just in terms of let's right size again our expectations of what this is in terms of an AI market. We get a lot of people saying, well, everybody's going to do AI. And well, first of all, it's not everybody. Okay, the larger the company, the more likely they are to be doing some kind of AI strategy. And that's true for HPC companies. It's particularly true for hyperscale companies. Most of AI spending, I mean, infrastructure for AI workloads gets done by the hyperscale companies, particularly the tier one hyperscale companies. HPC companies are certainly investigating AI, but those deployments are a lot smaller for the most part, except in finance. They're they're smaller for the most part, and they tend to be done, again, except in finance so far, on, on shared systems or shared uh, infrastructure together with HPC. So we're mixing them in, and that's why Xeon is so important here. So I have some concerns about moving everything behind this AI arrow. We're not going to talk about HPC. We're going to talk about AI. We're not going to talk about enterprise. We're going to talk about AI because AI is the thing everyone's doing. Just so that doesn't build up this expectation that all the other workloads are disappearing or that there's some new magical pile of money. Because in most of these environments, the budget isn't changing that much. It's just AI is is mixing in with with what we already have. And that makes it very similar to what we saw happen with big data. 
analytics, it's not like it wasn't a real thing. People do analytics, but there wasn't a big revolution in terms of how much money people spent on enterprise computing over the last five years. Those budgets stayed mostly flat and, and big data and analytics got mixed in with everything else. It was never a distinct market. We've yet to see what the effect of, of AI is going to be there, but we haven't seen uh, budgets dramatically change yet. So that's challenge number one. Yeah, although I would say for the hyperscale companies, you can see a lot of the growth in infrastructure being spent uh, behind there is being driven by AI applications. In other words, for a company like Google, there, there's there's search and language translations, all the web services they they portion out to you know built millions of of users on a on a real time basis. The, the things that are driving the processing behind that are AI, whether it's on their custom tensor processing units or whether it's on, you know, Xeons or, or whatever else or, or GPUs, um, they are spending money to keep up with the demand for those services. And, uh, you know, and, and we don't notice them, but we're using them every day. I mean, even you know, when we're talking over Skype or something like that, there's there's these applications that have machine learning embedded in them that are crunching away and the demand for these is growing and so their infrastructure is growing as well it's just i would think for for somebody like you or an analyst it's hard to quantify that because they're doing a lot of other things with that infrastructure in conjunction with ai as well so we can and do quantify it michael but it's become part of the hyperscale market and i don't right. think intel is having this DevCon for AI to talk to 20 hyperscale companies. I think they're doing it because they want to talk to everyone else in the world about their AI workloads. And that's the part that I'm saying is small. Yeah, at, at this point, it is small. And yet they're, they're still going ahead. And we should mention that they are going ahead working on the, the neural network processor, that, that architecture they uh, basically inherited from Nirvana. Now, that chip was actually supposed to originally be out in like 2017, I think a year after they acquired Nirvana. Um, it's still not out. They've got the Lakecrest chip, but actually when they talked about it at the uh, at the conference this week, that's only a, a, a software platform, a software development platform that they're releasing in limited quantities. The first production uh, neural network processor isn't gonna be out till 2019, and that's gonna be called Springcrest. Um, and they're going to add some more uh, instructions and, and numerical formats to that, that that I talk about a little bit in the article. But they've actually delayed this quite a bit from what they originally talked about um, back way back in 2016. I think it just has to do with the fact that the AI market has moved so quickly. It's become such a moving target for them. They've sort of had to adapt their expectations of, of what they could do. Um, and what they are doing now, uh, just to summarize that their their chip, their Lakecrest chip, puts out about 40 teraflops, which is quite a bit less than the peak performance of a like an NVIDIA V100 GPU. But their contention is that that chip, since it's custom built for this machine learning, is much more efficient uh, at extracting those flops than the uh, the NVIDIA chips are. So they're they're going to compete on that level. That it's a much more efficient chip for doing machine learning, just because it's uh, it's able to get into those flops more easily. 
Yeah. And when you look at this whole portfolio, that's related to my other concern for Intel here. It's not just that they have to manage all of these different lines. This is more different product lines in the high end that we're used to seeing from Intel. But the strategy here should go beyond just having all of these chips because saying we've got anything you need, come and get it, is part of a strategy. But the winning strategy comes when a company can advise their clients on which processors or which chips to apply to which workloads. And this is something that Intel has not shown historical strength with. Here's a white paper on when you should or shouldn't use Itanium. We never saw anything like that. We we saw, well, we have it if people want to choose it. So while I appreciate this huge portfolio here, what we're really going to be looking for on our side is to what extent Intel is able to continuously guide its clients on which products to choose for which workloads. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And I think that's, you know, that tends to be all sort of the tough, uh, the tough part of the story for Intel or any other big chip, chip company that sells a lot of uh, products that are sort of close related to one another. It's, it's a tough story to tell because the environment changes so quickly uh, out there in the real world that it, it's, it's tough to say, well, you could use this chip in this situation and this one in this situation because it, it, it becomes sort of granular on how those decisions are made. But hopefully uh, Intel knows that and is able to engage customers at that level and say, okay, I, I think we should point you here. This is what this can offer. But like you said, historically, they haven't been all that great at doing that. Okay, Michael. Also, this week in HPC, we can quickly talk about, you've got a story on top500.org. Speaking of powerful chips, there's a startup out there called Tachium that's making some pretty big claims. Yeah, this is sort of almost an inverse story to the one we were just talking about. Instead of a a big, you know, global chip maker um, like Intel, this is Tachium, this is a startup. And instead of offering sort of a variety of of uh, products for different parts of the market they basically come up with the idea that we they think they can put all of all of this into one data center chip they're actually calling it a cloud chip but actually it does um basically any high performance or even medium performance workload including hpc machine learning uh, analytics but also it does web services and database processing of, of all sorts um, they put it together in one chip, and the big claim to fame here, the big claim we should say, is that it's 10 times more efficient than basically a, a, a regular CPU at all of these things. It's, it's basically as good as a GPU at machine learning and, and uh, you know, basically 100 times better than a CPU at, at the more compute-intensive part. Now, they're not revealing a whole lot on how they've done this, except that they're changing the transistor wiring uh, architecture in sort of a fundamental way to take to take care of the wire delay limitation on on transistors now they talk about this at length but they haven't revealed exactly how they're doing it um, there hasn't been a whole lot of technical analysis of this approach except uh, something that 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 we've read recently so it's a lot of this is just claims and it's yet to be proven they don't have a prototype chip to demonstrate they don't have benchmarks to cite so uh, it pays to be a little skeptical here, but it's very interesting. Um, it, it's a very interesting set of claims and a very interesting approach at this fundamental level. And uh, you know, if, if 
half of this turns out to be true, it's going to be a very valuable commodity. Yeah. Well, we don't know a whole lot yet. And I'll freely admit I have not been briefed by the company at this point on this chip called Prodigy. They are talking about one of my favorite projects with the Human Brain Project and claiming this would be an ideal chip for that. And they ought to be able to deliver 10 exaflops using 256,000 of these Prodigy processors and that they could build that in the year 2020. These are very big claims. And I mean, I almost don't know what to think of this. It's a a kind of wake me up when you've got it working and then we'll see Uh, to say it's it's better than a CPU. It's better than it does everything a GPU can. It's more power efficient and it's that much cheaper and everyone's going to want one. It sounds like what they want is for someone to buy the whiteboard design and and uh, by the company based on the whiteboard design and take it to market or or keep it internal for all they care. Um, it's it's hard because we've seen powerful point products at times, like you think about ClearSpeed, and they had great benchmarks going for a while, but it didn't get sustained generation after generation. Or you know companies that have new novel architectural ideas. These things are great on paper. Um, you know, I like to remind people sometimes that Leonardo da Vinci drew a flying machine, but the difference between that and building one and flying it is is a lot different. And uh, so it it sounds great. It's it's a wonderful claim. I'm in favor of startups out there, and I haven't been briefed on it. It sounds wonderful, but it it's a long way to go to prove that they can hit these claims. Yeah, it, it sure is. But uh, and and. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I take your point about that. It almost looks like they're positioning it for a sale, and that that certainly makes a lot of sense, especially since the uh, the, the CEO, uh, Radislav Danilik, has been the co-founder and a CEO of, of different startups that were later sold, including uh, Skyera and, uh, and Sandforce. Actually, he was the CTO at Sandforce. Those two companies were acquired uh, years ago by, by uh, Western Digital and LSI, respectively. So... He's probably building this with the anticipation that this technology will get sold. It's it's hard to create a, a chip company now that's going to evolve into something like Intel or NVIDIA or or, or something else. Um, it's it's easier for the intellectual product or the intellectual property to to be shuttled off to one of the the large chip makers that has enough critical mass to actually uh, make it a commercial success. So it's probably what's going on here. But again. This has to work and it has to prove itself out, and it, it sounds like we're we're a little ways away from from that. Well, I'm, I'll root for them because it's a cool product if it does what it says. Those are some big claims. Yeah, and, and we'll be following them if they come up with uh, with more news. Uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on what Tachium's doing. All right, fantastic, Michael. Well, thanks again for two interesting stories, and thanks for tuning in to what's been going on this week in HPC. 